First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. All right. If you have ketchup in your fridge, you are not alone. Almost 90% of Canadian households have a bottle of that red condiment in their fridge. We're talking about this because you might not know that today is International Ketchup Day. So let's talk a little bit more about ketchup and why it is so popular in Canada, as well as the background to it. April Liu is a historian, also manager of public programs and education at the Chinatown Storytelling Centre. April, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a fun topic to get to the history, how ketchup made its way to Canada. What can you tell us about this Canadian staple? Absolutely. Uh, well, when I was doing this kind of research at the Chinatown Storytelling Center, it just blew my mind to find out that ketchup, this word that I've known growing up all my life, you know, is actually a Hokkien word. Uh, Hokkien is uh, from the southern, southeastern part of China from Fujian province, but it's a language that's actually spoken all throughout Southeast Asia and in diaspora. So ketchup is actually a Hokkien word that first referred to fermented fish sauce, so as early as the 1400s, uh, the traders from southern China would, you know, they went far out into the Southeast uh, Asian uh, area and beyond and brought back from Vietnam this fish sauce. Uh, in Vietnam, it's called Nook Mum. Brought it back to southern China. It was traded all throughout Southeast Asia. And it wasn't until roughly 17th or 18th centuries that the British traders came and developed a taste for it and they brought it back to England and began experimenting with their own ketchup recipes in Europe. Um, at, at this stage, ketchup had no tomatoes in it. This was, you know, a fishy, savory sauce, um, you know, first made in Asia. But when it got to, to uh, England, they started really adding interesting ingredients. They started adding mushrooms, walnuts, anchovies, oysters, and basically whatever they could find to try and replicate that savory taste from from Asia. <laughs> that's, that's early origins. Wow. Who knew it was such a complicated history to get to, to where ketchup is today? Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, the tomatoes didn't come till much later. So that was, you know, a, a late 19th century, um, a Pittsburgh man named Henry Heinz started making tomato ketchup in large quantities uh, in the U.S., you know, adding vinegar and ripe tomatoes to really help preserve the sauce. Um, and by 1905, he had sold some 5 million bottles of ketchup. And what I find so interesting is that that hooking word, ketchup, remained in place for all that time up until today. <laughs> yeah. Do we know then how, because some people often refer to it as catsup. Do we know how it kind of morphed and became, uh, that, that word came about? I think it is a, just a, a distorted, you know, um, way of saying the original word, which is right. gets up. And even, well, nowadays, uh, this word gets up is not really in modern usage in Hokkien. But the second part of the word jup is still widely heard. And, you know, the Cantonese speakers out there will know jup. Jup is a very common Cantonese word for sauce. 
<laughs> so, yeah, it's actually part Cantonese as well. <laughs> and when you talk about how it's changed and kind of the, the adding of the tomato to it, is, is it a bit of kind of almost though kind of stealing the word in that they, they went from, like you said, this fish sauce and it was a savory fish sauce uh, the, from Southeast Asia and then to, to kind of have it morph but keep keeping the word ketchup when really it's not the same thing at all. Absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of the story is that so many different cultures contributed to their version of ketchup. You know, what was first traded in like, you know, the 15th or 16th century was, is completely different than what it is today. And every, every culture that adopted ketchup added their own ingredients and sort of, you know, reinvented it. Um, and, and the story actually comes full circle if you look at the cuisines that were developed in the Chinatowns all across North America. This is where our research at the Chinatown Storytelling Center really kicks in. Um, we know that in the 1920s and 30s, with the Chinese Exclusion Act in Canada, it was a really rough time for the community. So the Cantonese dishes that the chefs were cooking, they needed to, they were under a lot of pressure to, to adapt it to the North American palate so they could attract more customers and sort of introduce people to you know, Chinese heritage, Chinese cooking. And so ketchup, enter ketchup, <laughs> you know, they would start adding ketchup to make uh, sauces like sweet and sour pork, you know, the sweet and sour pork sauce. That was uh, really a kind of a fusion dish in Chinatown was a way to sweeten the, the Cantonese sauces for the North American palate. So ketchup became really useful again. <laughs> that, that's actually used in a lot of sweet and sour sauces that came out of Chinatown in the early days. And, and even they put ketchup in chop suey, which is another, you know, sort of fusion dish uh, that came out of the Chinatowns in, in the early 20th century. Did it get the sugar added to it then kind of as it changed from that original fish sauce? Because uh, like you're saying, it was added to, to get that sweetness and the sweet and sour and to, to add that flavoring. But anybody will know if you look at the ingredient list on the side of a bottle of ketchup today, sugar is pretty high up there on the list of ingredients. Did that kind of come as it changed? That's my understanding. My understanding is that it got sweeter and sweeter after it came to North America. <laughs> so I, I think uh, it was still pretty savory in Europe, but when it made the jump over here with, with Heinz making his sauce, I think uh, the, the North American palate definitely made it more sweet. Um, and, and in the, the you know, Chinese fusion, the Chinatown cuisine, definitely it was used uh, to sweeten the, the, the Chinese dishes. Would it uh, would it be a kind of though? Would it be odd using it to sweeten the dish? But if you took say a, a, an authentic a, a Chinatown a, a meal and just doused ketchup on it, my guess is that would be kind of <laughs> offensive, wouldn't it, to the chef? Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, although I, you know, my parents are Chinese immigrants, and I grew up on this side of the ocean, and we just loved adding ketchup to everything Chinese. I mean, I remember growing up watching. Saturday morning cartoons with uh, shrimp chips and just dipping my shrimp chips in a, a giant bowl of ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so, so you are then definitely definitely in the, the 90% of households that have that bottle in the fridge and are still big fans of ketchup. Absolutely. And I think uh, it's, it's, these stories are so great because it just shows us that culture is messy, you know, um, that we are, we've been, you know, trading with one another and, and exchanging ideas and for, for millennia, really, 
Um, so it's just it's wonderful that that, you know, ketchup has this sort of international, global, multicultural history that we can embrace on uh, on International Ketchup Day. Right. Do you, are people surprised when you tell them the background and the history of where ketchup came from? Oh, my goodness. It's a great uh, conversation starter. Absolutely. People are just floored. And, you know, I, I think it's a it's a lovely way to get people to get take more interest in history as well. Um, you know, at the Storytelling Center, we're, we're always trying to find ways to, uh, to to tell interesting stories, you know, about our heritage, about Chinatown. And this is definitely one of them. It's, a, it's definitely something that everyone can relate to. Like you said, over 97% of us have it in our fridges in North America. <laughs> so it's a common denominator that we can start with to start, uh, you know, these, discuss- these very fascinating discussions on how history connects us all. Right. Does it help you as well, or is it kind of a jumping off point that gets you then to having other conversations about other uh, inventions, maybe with roots in China and how those two have changed our lives today? Absolutely. Yeah. Food is a food is a big topic. You know, we have you know tea that came from China, but then became this incredibly popular global drink with like infinite variations from different cultures. Right. Um, language it folds into that as well. Uh, you know how Cantonese has become, you know, this language of the Chinese and diaspora, and, you know, how Cantonese culture, Cantonese cuisine has really fused into the history of uh, North America in so many interesting ways with the early immigrants and all of their many contributions um, in in building, um, you know, the railway and, you know, the gold rush and, you know, just just woven into our history. So definitely food is is an entry point for that. And I think if you you know, with the revitalization of Chinatown happening today, food is another big uh, attraction for people to come back to the neighborhood and experience that that amazing heritage that's there. <laughs> it's definitely a way to, to bring people together is around food. All right. April, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me.